0: Welcome to the Bedford Alliance Church Bible Reading Plan Podcast. I'm Luke Cusino, your discipleship pastor and host. This podcast follows along with our church-wide reading plan, which walks you through the entire New Testament and gives you an overview of the Old Testament. Join us as we dive into God's life-changing Word together. Well, hello, and welcome to the podcast. As the intro said, my name is Luke, and I am your host. And for this podcast, we are going to be following our church-wide reading plan, which, by the way, if you don't have a copy of that, you can get it on our website. That's bedfordalliance.church, or you can also pick it up at our Next Steps area on a Sunday morning. And what we want to do with this podcast, we're going to follow along with the reading plan, and we want to try to give you some deeper insights into what you're reading each week. So that might look a little bit different each week. Some weeks we might more set some context for you. Some weeks we might introduce whatever book we're starting that week. Sometimes we might talk about how things fit into the bigger picture of the storyline of the Bible. Sometimes we might take a more detailed look at a difficult or a confusing passage. But remember that in all of this, we ultimately want to lead you into a deeper relationship with Christ. Okay, this isn't just about head knowledge, although that's important. We want to have right head knowledge. But we want to ultimately help you understand Scripture so that you can better know the God behind Scripture, the God who gave us Scripture. Okay, so just keep that in mind. Now, we're going to be following the New Testament part of the reading plan for this series. You'll notice that each of these episodes are titled. NT for New Testament, and then there's a number, that's the week that we're on for the reading plan. So you might see NT number one, that means the New Testament part of the plan, and we're on the first week of the plan, just so you know. And just to give you kind of an overview of the reading plan, how we laid this out, specifically the New Testament part, what we've done is we've spread the Gospels throughout the year so that you're never too far away from reading one of the Gospels. And we're starting with the Gospel of Luke, which we're gonna talk about more here in a minute. Then we go into the book of Acts from there, because really Luke and Acts are meant to be read together. Again, we'll talk more about this in a little bit. And then after Acts, the, the letters of the New Testament are in the general order that they were written. So you can think of this New Testament plan as sort of a, a pseudo-chronological plan with the Gospel spread throughout the year. So we start with Luke and Acts, and then we go through the, the letters in their general order and then intersperse the other Gospels just to spread them out a little bit. Okay, so that's where we're going and that's the order that we're going to approach the books of the New Testament. Now, starting with the Gospel of Luke, let's talk about the book of Luke. First of all, who was Luke? Well, keep in mind that he was not one of the original 12 disciples, but we do know that he was a close companion of the Apostle Paul. Now, how do we know that? Well, Paul mentions him a few different times. We see in Colossians 4.14, Paul says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. In 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul says, Luke alone is with me. And remember, Paul wrote that soon before he, he died. Then he mentions in Philemon verse 24, he mentions Luke as a fellow worker. And on top of that, Luke wrote the book of Acts, which we'll talk more about here in a minute. But if you read the book of Acts, you'll notice that Luke switches from saying things like Paul did this or they did this to all of a sudden saying we did this. Why? Because Luke was starting to travel with Paul. Okay, so we know Luke was a companion of Paul. We also know that he was a physician. Paul mentions this in the book of Colossians. And he was also likely a Gentile. Luke was likely a Gentile, so not Jewish, although we don't know that for sure. And like I mentioned earlier, he writes both the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. Think of this like a a two-volume work that's really meant to be read together. That's why we've put them together in our reading plan. And an interesting fact, Luke and Acts together make up 28% of the New Testament. All of Paul's letters combined make up 24%. So Luke actually contributed more to the New Testament than any other single author in terms of content, not in terms of number of books. Obviously, Paul wrote the greatest number. He wrote 13 of the letters. But in terms of word count or in terms of content, Luke actually contributes more to the New Testament than any other single author. And Luke also gives us the most complete history of the New Testament. In his gospel, he records, of course, Jesus's life. Well, first his birth, then his life his death, his resurrection. And then in the book of Acts, he records the the missionary work of the early church, the gospel spreading throughout the Roman Empire. Luke really gives us the historical foundation of the New Testament. And one other interesting fact, Luke is, is really known amongst scholars as the literary artist of the New Testament. The Greek that he uses is very very elegant, very well-polished, and it's very clear that he's a well-educated person. Now, getting into the book itself, the first four verses of Luke are really the introduction of the book. Now, one commentator writes that this literary prologue, this introduction, ranks among the best Greek literature of the first century. Just Greek literature in general, Christian or non-Christian. So again, he's a very skilled writer. Now, a few notes on this intro, Luke writes that many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. So notice he says many people have written, many people have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished. So Luke is clearly not the first to write about Jesus. And he may have used Mark or Matthew or both as sources for his gospel. Now, notice he also says he's writing about the things that have been accomplished or fulfilled among us. Just like the other gospel writers, Luke sees Jesus' life and teachings as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. For the biblical writers, Christianity isn't really a quote-unquote new religion per se, as if it was completely separate from the Old Testament and Judaism. It's, it's really a new expression of the same beliefs that Abraham and Moses and David had. God has revealed more to us now through Jesus and the way we do things looks different than the nation of Israel. But understand that Jesus is ultimately the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He's not completely separate from it. He's the fulfillment of it. And this is why understanding the Old Testament is so important for us. It's the foundation of, of everything. Now moving on here, Luke says he's writing an orderly account and that he has followed all things closely or another another way of translating this is having carefully investigated. Luke is acting as a historian for us. He's done meticulous research to document all the important events that have been going on. And he addresses this work, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts as well, to a guy named Theophilus. And he calls him Most Excellent Theophilus. Now, we don't know who exactly Theophilus is, but notice he refers to him as Most Excellent. He uses this title. And when this title is used elsewhere in the New Testament, it refers to a Roman official. For example, Felix and Festus in the book of Acts. It's possible then that Theophilus was some sort of official who is either a new believer or maybe considering becoming a believer. Or he could have just been a a Gentile with some sort of social status. And Luke maybe used this title as a a polite way of addressing him. But regardless, Luke says that he's writing to Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke is writing to strengthen the faith of those who have heard the gospel and Jesus' teachings. Now, it's possible that Theophilus actually funded Luke's work. He may have been a, a wealthy person. And he may have had the means and, and told Luke, hey, I've got the wealth, I've got the resources, you go, you go investigate this. That was actually a pretty common practice in the ancient world for a wealthy patron to sponsor a writing project. And then the writer would open the book with a sort of dedication to that patron, to the person who funded the project. And one interesting thing is that Luke's gospel is within about 3% of the length of the book of Acts. And both of them would have fit on a standard size scroll for publication. So understand that these works that Luke wrote to Theophilus, yes, he's writing to Theophilus, but this wasn't just a private work. This was meant to be read by others. Now, after the introduction to the book, Luke gets into the birth narrative in the first couple of chapters. And this is the most detailed birth narrative in the gospels. And we don't know for sure, but scholars think that maybe the reason why Luke has more details here in his birth narrative is that he may have actually been able to use Mary, the mother of Jesus, as a source for his gospel. So that's that's pretty cool to think about, right? The fact that Luke maybe had an opportunity in the in the church in Jerusalem to sit down with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and talk to her and get her side of the story. So that's pretty cool to think about. Now in this birth narrative, Luke draws parallels between the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus. So a couple of parallels here. You'll notice that both John's parents and Jesus's parents are approached by angels who then foretell the birth of their sons. And and both of these births are really miraculous because John's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, are very old and they're barren. And Mary, of course, is a virgin. So these are both miraculous, incredible births. And both sets of parents are told not to be afraid. In both passages, the angels also give the names of the son, the name that they are to give to their son. So these different parallels show the unity of the task of both John the Baptist and Jesus, the task in bringing salvation to Israel, to the world. But Jesus is always presented as superior in these parallels. John is presented as the forerunner, the one who will prepare the way for the Messiah. But Jesus himself, he is the Messiah. He is the coming king, the one who has been long awaited for. Now, I want to touch on one thing in in chapter 3. You'll see that Luke gives a genealogy of Jesus. A couple comments here. First, you'll notice that Luke says, Jesus was the son of Joseph, As was supposed. So, this is a a not so subtle reference to Jesus's virgin birth. He's making it very clear that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. You'll notice that Luke takes his genealogy all the way back to Adam. Now, he mentions David and Abraham in in the genealogy, and that's important because remember that God made promises to them in the Old Testament that will be fulfilled through Jesus. Remember, God promised Abraham that he would bring a worldwide blessing through him and his offspring. And then God promised David that he would have a descendant who would sit on the throne of his kingdom forever. So through this genealogy, Luke is saying that, yes, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. He is the one predicted by the Old Testament, the one who would save Israel, the one who fulfills the promises to Abraham and David. But he doesn't stop there. He takes the genealogy all the way back to Adam, saying that Jesus is the Savior of all people. And this will be a common theme throughout Luke's gospel. Jesus is not just the fulfillment of Jewish hopes, but the hopes of all people, Jews and Gentiles. Now, I also want to touch on something in chapter 4 here. The first few chapters are more introduction and preparation for Jesus's ministry. And then as Jesus starts his ministry, he goes to Nazareth, his hometown, to where he was raised, and he enters the synagogue on the Sabbath. He takes the scroll of Isaiah, he opens it up, and he reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now I want you to understand, by the way, that's Isaiah chapter 61. I want you to understand, though, that this term poor, in context, doesn't just refer to finances. It refers to those who are humble, and especially those who are of low social status and who are outsiders. A good example of this would be Levi or Matthew, who becomes one of Jesus' followers. He's certainly not financially poor, but he is an outsider as a tax collector, he's not a well-liked person. Okay. So he is still poor in the sense of being an outsider. Understand Luke is telling us here that Jesus's message, his gospel message, it's good news for everyone, but it's especially good news for those who are outcasts, for those who are Gentiles, for those who are seemingly on the outside of, of society. What I want you to notice as you read Luke's gospel is that he especially addresses his work to the Gentiles and to outsiders and to outcasts. And one thing we're going to talk about as we go through this reading plan is that each of the gospel writers, they all write with a slightly different purpose in mind and they write with a slightly different audience in mind. Luke is primarily addressing Gentiles and and the outcasts. And Luke was the perfect person to write to those people because he was likely a Gentile himself and he accompanied Paul, who was a missionary to the Gentiles. Paul was largely responsible for taking the gospel to Gentiles all throughout the Roman Empire. So Luke was the perfect person to write this. And Luke's gospel is a very clear reminder that God has a heart for all the nations Yes, he he used Israel in a special way, but God's heart has always been for all people, for all nations. Now, one final thought here from chapter five Jesus tells a parable, and I think this can be a little confusing to, to some people. He says, No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. Then he goes on and he tells the same parable, but from a different perspective. He says, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed, but new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. Now, what's he talking about here? Well, he's basically saying that we can't mix the old and new covenant. Remember, God had made a covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai. That's what we call the old covenant. That's where the term Old Testament comes from and As part of that covenant, if Israel Israel was obedient to the law, if they were obedient to the covenant, they would be blessed and they would live in the land promised to them, the land promised to Abraham. But if Israel disobeyed the covenant, they would face judgment. Then Jesus comes along and he fulfills the old covenant for us. He fulfills the old covenant for Israel. And he initiates a new covenant where all who put their faith and their trust in him will have forgiveness. So Jesus is basically saying in these parables that a new era has begun. A new era has been initiated that will require repentance and and new forms of worship. He's basically saying that things are changing for the better. Things are going to look a little bit different. He's saying that you can't put... The new wine, quote unquote, of the gospel, you can't keep that in the wineskins of the Pharisees and their way of doing things. Jesus is bringing something new and something so much better. So just to wrap up here a little bit, remember that Luke is a companion of Paul. He writes both the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, which together makes up the single largest part of the New Testament by one author. And Luke really focuses on and addresses the outsiders, the downcast, the Gentiles. He tells us that Jesus has come for everyone. So he wants everyone to find hope. And with that, I want to challenge us as we close. Remember, this isn't just about head knowledge. We ultimately want to have a deeper relationship with Christ and and try to live out the word. We don't want to just be hearers of the word. We also want to be doers. It's got to be both hearers and doers. So I want to challenge us this week. How can we reach out to the poor, the marginalized, those who have been rejected by others? Because that's who Jesus reached out to. Do we tend to judge others who are different than us? Do we tend to distance ourselves from other people who might be different from us in some way? Or do we look for opportunities to love and to minister and and share the gospel with the marginalized? This week, I want you to look for an opportunity to love and to minister to someone and maybe even share the gospel with someone that you don't normally reach out to. Remember that Jesus came to redeem all of humanity. That's what Luke tells us. Jesus came to redeem all of humanity, so let's show his love to all people, and let's give him all the honor and the glory and the praise.